Chapter 3 The climb down from the tower was not nearly as difficult as Link initially thought it would be. The sides of the tower were covered with a lattice-like pattern of stone that made for easy hand and footholds. In addition to that, positioned in a spiraling ring around the tower were a series of platforms, clearly meant to assist for climbing up or down the tower. He found that it was really quite easy, though his hands ached by the time he reached the bottom. In truth, however, he wished it had been more difficult. Perhaps then, it could have distracted him from the voice's words, or what he had seen at the top of the tower. He'd heard the strain in her voice, and sensed the difficulty she experienced with that creature. But what was he supposed to do? She gave him no instructions beyond telling him to go. She warned him of dire consequences, the world's end no less, but shed no lights on the means of avoiding such an outcome. Perhaps if he'd had his memories, then some of it would have made sense. However, he was now as lost as he was before she'd spoken to him again. He'd tried to pierce the darkness of his own mind, but it was like trying to remember a dream long forgotten. He could almost sense his past, just out of reach. It was maddening. When he finally reached the bottom, he intended to tell the man of the mystery woman and the creature he'd seen. Perhaps the man had heard her as well. Surely, he would at least be able to tell him about the creature. However, when Link looked to the broken wall where the old man had been sitting, he'd found it empty, save for the man's walking staff and a small satchel which had fallen to the ground. Fear stabbed through his heart, and he immediately unsheathed his sword. He held it at the ready, looking around with a wary anticipation for the attack that he was certain would come. He didn't have to wait long. Something flew by his head, and he leaped to the side. A moment later, another arrow flew right through where he'd been standing, clattering harmlessly across the ground several feet away. Looking around quickly in the direction the arrow had come from, Link saw three bow coblins on the top of a nearby hill. Two wielded crude wooden bows, while one standing behind them looked familiar to him. One of its arms appeared broken, held in place by a rough sling. The blue bow coblin from earlier had apparently returned with his friends. Gripping the sword tightly in his hand, Link dove to the side as another pair of arrows flew through the air at him. The Bokoblin's aim was poor, and he doubted either of those arrows would have even hit him had he stood still. But all it would take was one lucky shot. He began to sprint towards the hill. It was foolish, he knew. Running straight at a pair of archers was surely a suicide mission. But he had no good cover around him, save the tower. And the last thing he wanted was to be pinned down in one location as the archers got their bearing and honed in their shots. Moving in a zigzag line, he managed to avoid two more volleys before blessedly reaching the hill. It was steep on this side, but his momentum helped him scale it. As he crested the hill, however, he found one of the bow coblins had drawn another arrow. This one aimed directly at his heart. He didn't stop. Instead, he leaped forward, moving through the gap between the two archers. He felt a sharp pain in his upper right arm, but ignored it for the time being. Instead, he spun around, sword sweeping wide. He caught the first archer in the neck, and ended up slicing through the bow of the second archer. A cry of pain notified Link 
that he'd sliced that archer's hand as well. Link continued his spin around, and felt sudden, though brief, resistance. The blue bow goblin looked at him with shocked red eyes. In its hand, it held a wicked-looking dagger, poised to plunge down into Link's previously exposed back. A heartbeat later, the dagger fell, as the bow goblin doubled over, holding its bleeding stomach. Confident that this bow goblin, at least, would not bother him again, Link turned to see the remaining bow goblin archer, sans its broken bow, scrambling down the hill, yelling something in panicked tones. Not wanting a repeat of this encounter, Link sheathed his sword and picked up the bow dropped by the other bow goblin. He knocked one of the arrows, drew the string to his cheek, and carefully aimed. After making a quick adjustment for the breeze, he loosed. The arrow arced through the air and found its home in the bow goblin's unprotected back. It fell face forward and lie prone on the ground, unmoving. He stared at the bow goblin in satisfaction for several seconds before everything crashed down around him. He dropped the bow, taking a horrified step back, looking around him at the carnage he'd wrought in what, a few seconds? Three more dead or dying creatures. Considering the previous two that he'd killed, that made five. Five lives taken with apparent ease. Who was he? He was beginning to fear the answer. That the bow goblins were grotesque and dangerous did little to soothe the shame he felt in spilling so much blood. What kind of man had he been in his past? His distant past, if the woman's voice was to be believed. The pain in his arm managed to draw his attention away from that disconcerting thought, and he looked down to find that his sleeve had been sliced by the arrow shot at him earlier. It looked as though it had only grazed him, but blood oozed down his arm, staining his sleeve. After taking quick stock of the dead around him, Link decided that his own clothes would make for a better bandage than the dirty loincloths that the bow goblins wore. He tore the sleeve on his right arm, and after cutting off the bloodied section, he used the remaining fabric to bind his arm. It didn't look deep, but it bled enough to warrant the bandage. That done, he had began to gather up what remaining supplies he could. He turned to the dead blue bow goblin. He was mildly surprised to see the shield it had wielded earlier slung around its back. A dropped dagger, which had a rusted blade, rested on the ground next to its head. Link carefully removed the shield from the bow goblin's back, sliding the long strap out from under the bow goblin's chest, and inspected it. It was a simple wooden shield that Link doubted would hold up much in a battle. He could already see several deep gouges in the wood, including at least one placed there by Link himself. It had two simple leather straps to hold it in battle, and one longer one with which to sling it around his back. He slid his right arm into this, testing its weight. It felt too light to him, likely too flimsy to protect against much more than clubs and rusted swords, and he doubted it would stop an arrow shot straight on. But it was something. He slung the shield, satisfied to at least have some measure of protection, and turned back to the other dead bow goblin. He picked up the discarded bow from earlier, pursing his lips. It was not in great condition, nor was it made of very good wood, from what he could tell. The bow goblins were not very good craftsmen, it would seem. Still, though it had shot true, and Link did not want to find himself unprepared in case he was attacked from afar again. He unstrung it to prevent any further wear on it. Next, he found a simple leather quiver, which he strapped to his waist, and several additional arrows around the fallen bow goblin. Finally, he picked up the blue bow goblin's dagger, 
and slid it into his belt. Feeling at least somewhat better prepared than before, he made his way down the hill and over to the discarded staff and satchel. He left the staff, but picked up the satchel, slinging it over his shoulder. He placed the coiled bowstring into it, and after a moment, pulled out a single remaining apple within. He found a half-full waterskin in the satchel as well. Ignoring the brief stab of guilt that he felt at eating the old man's apple, he took a bite and looked up towards the Temple of Time. He didn't know if the old man was still alive, or even if the Bokoblins would have taken him there, if they did kidnap him. But he had no other place to start. The old man was his only lifeline in this strange, mysterious world. He had to at least try to find him, especially if it was his helping Link that resulted in his capture in the first place. And if Link was some kind of warrior in his past life, he would much rather put those skills to use protecting life than taking it. Somewhere along the way up the hill to the Temple of Time, Link decided that whatever his combat skills were, stealth was not one of them. As he walked, the shield on his back continually bounced off the old scabbard, making a knocking sound with every other step or so. Attempts to tighten the shield were meant with failure, and he even briefly considered abandoning it. Thinking back on the ambush earlier encouraged him to keep it for now, though. And what will you do with it, Link? He wondered quietly to himself, as he crept around a ruined structure that might have been a place for prayer, based on the altar and ruined statue in its center at one end of the building. Deflect the arrows back at them. He found that he was thinking of himself more and more as Link. It seemed to call to him almost like an old friend that he hadn't seen in a long time. However, if the woman was right in his name, was she right in the other things? No, he thought. That can't be possible. And even if I was, why me? Then he thought back to the way he'd killed the Bokoblins earlier, and pursed his lips. He found that the hill leading up to the Temple of Time had been separated into tiered levels, with each level holding several old buildings of various sizes and shapes. Some had probably been for priests' living quarters, based on ancient bed frames that he found within. Others perhaps served religious purposes, prayer buildings, or places that priests could teach smaller groups. Or perhaps this had been a town once, and these were homes and shops. He truly didn't know. He was still considering this as he stepped up to the final building on the path before it split and led to the Temple of Time itself. The large building was mostly an intact structure, despite missing its roof, and part of one wall. He thought that it would be a good place from which to conduct reconnaissance before running into the temple. As he stepped into the structure, he was struck by the fact that this was a larger building than the others below. As he gazed around the large empty building, he turned, looking towards a previously unforeseen corner. He gasped and took a step back, eyes widening. Before Link stood a massive construction, a statue perhaps, but one almost as tall as the building he stood in. It had six long spindly legs, each ending in a three-clawed foot, though only three appeared to remain whole. The other three legs ended in jagged stumps. It had a cylindrical body, wider at its base and narrow at its top. A single black circle adorned the center of its body, and within it he could see a dark sphere like an ominous black eye. It looked intimidating in its own right, yet the dread he felt as he stared up at this thing went beyond its appearance or size. He wanted to run, to hide, 
to find something to put between himself and this construct. Nausea immediately rose in his belly at the sight. It turned his blood to ice. He turned away from it, but it did little to help the rush of anxiety he felt. Now the hairs on his neck stood on end. It felt as though it was watching him. Abandoning his plan to use this building at all, he went back to the doorway and after ensuring no bow goblins were in sight, hurried out. Placing a wall between him and it helped, but he could still feel his heart racing. His palms were sweaty too. The building was nestled between two staircases that led up to the Temple of Time's entrance, and Link wasted no time in hurrying towards one of them, looking over his shoulder the whole way. However, as Link crept closer to one of the staircases, he was dismayed to see several more of the strange, many-legged statues up closer to the temple. These appeared to be facing the temple, and were in various states of disrepair like the other, missing legs, or one of the strange fin-like protuberances at the top of their cylindrical heads. Link briefly considered his options, but thinking of the old man helped him steal his nerves. They were just statues, right? And they were clearly old. These ones had moss growing on their metallic bodies, and at least one bird had built its nest in the crook of one of their legs. He forced thoughts of his strange apprehension around them aside, and began to slowly climb the staircase, mindful of any loose stones that might give him away. The land around the Temple of Time was, blessedly, alive with the sounds of various birds and insects, which likely helped mask his other sounds to some degree. After slowly creeping past the trio of broken metal statues, he reached the outer wall of the Temple of Time. Its ancient doorway stood open just ten feet from him, and now that he was here, he could hear the faint sounds of movement from within the temple. He placed his unstrung bow against the stone wall and pulled the shield from his back, locking it into place on his right arm. After this, he reached back and took his sword from his sheath in a slow, controlled movement that made little sound. He moved quietly along the wall until he reached the entrance. After taking a deep breath, he slowly peeked his head around the door to peer inside. Inside the temple was a long central aisle surrounded on both sides by old stone pews. Most were broken. At the end of the aisle was a large winged statue of a woman in a long, flowing dress. Around its base were several smaller statues with similar features. Link saw that he had been mistaken in his earlier assumption that the Temple of Time hadn't seen a level of destruction visited upon other buildings. Though the western side of the structure had seemed almost whole from afar, the eastern side had almost completely collapsed, save for a few key sections of the wall. He was no builder, but he thought that without the sections of the wall, the roof, if not the entire building, would have likely caved on itself years ago. Light streamed in from the shattered wall, revealing a small, crackling campfire in the temple's stone floor. A dead boar had been cut open next to the fire, and a roasting spit had been erected over the flames, where several chunks of meat had been hung to cook. As tasty as that might have seemed to Link, who had only had a couple of apples since waking, his appetite was driven from him when he saw the bow coblin sitting next to the fire. It tore into a piece of cooked meat with greedy abandon. Its back was turned to him, and he saw its weapons, a club and a wooden shield with white bones strapped to its face, lying on the ground a few feet away. He stepped carefully into the temple. Once he passed the doorway, he noted two side rooms to either side of the entrance, both of which were empty of bow goblins, though it looked as though they had been used for storage in the past. 
Only the single bokoblin appeared to be keeping watch of the temple at the moment. Perhaps the others were out hunting or patrolling. Or perhaps Link had already dispatched them. That was good, he supposed, though the thought gave him little joy. Link moved at a crouch, trying to keep himself hidden behind the broken pews. A large amount of broken stone and rubble around him made stealth difficult, however, and he accidentally nudged a stone chip with his foot. He froze, just behind the pew, as he heard the bokoblin react. It made a curious noise, and he could hear a shuffle, as though looking round. He held his breath, the knuckles gripping his sword turning white with anticipation. He was fairly confident in his ability to take out this lone enemy, but if it called others in the area. Link heard the bokoblin settle back down, and then it made what sounded like a laugh as it bit into another piece of meat. Link peered over the pew. Perhaps it was enjoying the chance to eat a meal to itself without having to share. Just as he was considering whether or not he should even attack the bokoblin, it wasn't currently threatening him after all. The tip of his sword scratched against the stone pew next to him. The bokoblin reacted immediately, leaping up and spinning around. It opened his mouth to yell something in its strange language, and Link lunged forward with his sword. He ran the bokoblin through, piercing where he assumed its heart was. For a brief moment, it looked at Link with shocked, scared eyes, and then he saw the life leech out of it. Setting his jaw, Link grabbed the bokoblin's arm and lowered the body to the ground silently. Hurriedly, he walked over to the broken wall and looked outside, searching for any others nearby. Beyond another couple of those multi-legged broken statues outside, Link saw no other threats. Unfortunately, nor did he see any indication of the old man, alive or otherwise. Sighing, he allowed himself to relax some, and turned back to look at the temple. On one of the pews, Link saw what looked like some old filthy rags. He used these to wipe the purple bokoblin blood off his blade. It wasn't as clean as he would like, and he was aware that he hadn't cleaned it off earlier, which likely meant the inside of his sheath was now filthy. He felt somewhat better by the simple act of cleaning his blade, though. He sheathed it, placed the shield on his back, and then exhaled, sitting down on one of the broken pews. His eyes fell on the dead bokoblin, killed while simply enjoying its meal. No threat to Link. Not really, if his earlier victories were any indication. Would such things be easier if he had his memories? If so, was that a good thing? You appear to be deep in thought, said a voice behind him. Link leapt to his feet, spinning around in surprise to find the old man standing at the entrance of the temple. He looked no worse for wear than before, and, in fact, had apparently retrieved his staff at some point. Had he merely wandered off, then? Had Link come all this way for nothing? I thought you had been... Link began, but the old man's chuckles silenced him. You always were quick to rush off when you thought someone needed protection, the old man said. What? The old man tapped his staff on the ground, the sound seemingly louder and more resonant than it should have been, silencing Link. Meet me in this steeple. I wish to show you something, and there is something else that I wish to give you as well. I don't understand. Who... Again, Link fell silent as the old man turned from him, and disappeared. One moment he had been standing there, and the next he was simply gone without any trace. 
A chill ran down Link's spine, and he looked around quickly, trying to determine if he had somehow merely missed the old man's departure. He ran to the door, looking outside, but found nothing. Finally, knowing deep in his heart that he would eventually oblige the old man's command out of pure curiosity, if nothing else, he found a section of broken wall that appeared scalable and began to climb. The old man had suggested that he knew Link. He intended to find out what the old man meant. He found the rough, pockmarked, and partially broken surface of the wall simple enough to climb. At one point, he was forced to use the knife he collected from the dead Bokoblin earlier to pull out some of old and loose mortar, but the climb was otherwise uneventful. Once he reached the roof, he pulled himself up onto the red slate tiles. Several had broken over the years, and entire sections of the roof had collapsed. He carefully made his way up to the roof's peak, satisfied that the worst of the damage had clearly been done to the eastern slope of the roof. Once there, he fixed his eyes on the steeple, which had suffered heavy damage. Facing Link was a large hole in the steeple where a window had likely once been. The opposing window and surrounding stone had long since crumbled away as well, allowing him to see out the other side. He made his way across the roof, but it was only once he got closer to the steeple that he saw the old man. His back turned to Link, staring out at the land of Hyrule visible through the broken steeple wall. The man's hands were clasped behind his back, and he stood strangely different now. Taller. Stronger. His walking staff was nowhere to be seen. The old man did not turn towards him until he cautiously climbed into the open steeple. The man smiled in a strange, somber manner. Well done, Link, he said. Though you may lack memory of your past, your skills and nature clearly remain. Link remained silent, eyes locked onto those of the old man. The man chuckled softly. I suppose it is time that I was honest with you. The old man turned back, fixing his eyes on the distant castle. My name, he said before exhaling heavily, is Rome Bosphoramus Hyrule. I am, was, the last king of Hyrule. He paused, and then continued in a softer tone. A kingdom which no longer exists. The old man was suddenly bathed in a strange ethereal green light, nearly blinding Link. When the light faded, the old man had changed. He no longer wore the old cloak, nor was his beard as bushy and unkept. Instead, he wore a blue waistcoat with gold trim over a white doublet, white trousers, and a pair of black leather boots that floated a few inches above the ground. He wore a large belt buckle with the Hyrulean royal crest on its face, the same as on Link's sword. His beard and hair were trimmed to neat in appearance, and he wore a golden crown upon his head. Though the bright light from earlier had faded, the old man, the king, still faintly glowed in the same light. Link felt as though a bucket of cold water had been overturned onto his head, leaving him chilled to the core. He took a step back, but his heel reached the edge of the steeple room. He briefly thought of the sword on his back, but knew at once that it would be useless against this being, this ghost. A great calamity was merciless. It devastated everything in its path. Lo, a century ago, King Rome turned to face Link his expression distant. It was then that my life was taken from me. 
I don't... Link began. He cleared his throat and licked his lips. I don't understand. What is the calamity? Are you the guide? The guide that the woman promised me? Something in King Rome's expression changed. It grated sharper, and his eyes met Link's. I have remained here ever since I died, in spirit form. I did not know why for a long time. I assumed that perhaps it had been because of the royal family's connection to this place. Our history. She eventually spoke to me as well. The king turned, moving closer to the broken wall. His legs did not move to propel him. He floated instead. I did not think it wise to overwhelm you so soon after you awoke. I feared your memory would be too fragile. So rather than that, I assumed a temporary less alarming form. He looked out at the distant castle again. Forgive my deception. I see now that your mind is still quite strong. Link stepped up next to the king, looking up into his face. I can't remember anything, he said, a note of desperation entering his voice. If you can tell me something, anything to help me. King Rome looked down at Link, his expression growing increasingly somber. I shall tell you what happened one hundred years ago, Link. Perhaps hearing of it shall awaken something within you. He looked back towards the castle, where the strange creature made of purple mist had risen again, circling around the castle. It did not seem to be able to leave the immediate area surrounding the castle, however. To know the Calamity Ganon's true form, one must know the story from an age long past. The Demon King was born into this kingdom long ago. Legends speak of a man once. Others speak of a beast. Either way, the legends always speak of terrible power and destruction left in its wake. The horror you see now, however, is what is left of that being, transformed by malice in an endless cycle of death and rebirth. Many in the kingdom had long forgotten any truth to the stories of Ganon. They were legends, fairy tales. However, when I was a younger man, there was a mystic, a fortune teller, who told me a prophecy. He told me that the signs of Ganon's resurrection were clear, and that the power to oppose him lied dormant under the ground. The king turned to Link. I did not believe him at first, he said. But there were other things that convinced me of his legitimacy. He looked away. He disappeared soon thereafter. I do not know what happened to him, nor where he came from. Link remained silent, and King Rome continued. We decided to heed the prophecy, and began excavating large areas of land. It wasn't long before we discovered several ancient relics made by the hands of our distant ancestors. These relics, gods cursed them, were giant machines piloted by warriors. His expression darkened, his ethereal hands clenching into tight fists. We also discovered the guardians. You likely saw them outside of the temple. These mechanical creations were meant to be autonomous soldiers created aeons ago to fight the Calamity Ganon. Our legends spoke of these, and the learned among us knew that there was some truth to those old legends. Those legends also spoke of a princess with a sacred power and her appointed knight. 
chosen by the sword of evil's bane, the sword that would seal the darkness. They alone had the power to battle and seal Ganon away. One hundred years ago, there was a princess set to inherit that sacred power, and a skilled knight at her side. King Rom said, looking at Link. He felt the shiver run down his spine. It was clear that we were to follow our ancestors' path. So we selected four skilled individuals from across Hyrule, tasked them with the duty of piloting the divine beasts, Miva, the Zora, Daruk, the Goron, Abosa, the Gerudo, Rivali, the Rito. With the princess as their commander, we dubbed these pilots champions, a name that would solidify their unique bond. King Rowan looked back out at the castle. The distant creature had drawn back down into the depths of the castle, perhaps locked away again by the mysterious woman. The king continued, sounding wistful. The princess, her appointed knight, and the rest of the champions were on the brink of sealing away Ganon. They were so very close. But nay, Ganon was cunning, and he responded with a plan beyond our imagining. He appeared from deep beneath Castle Hyrule, and seized control of the divine beasts and the guardians that her people had spent so much time preparing for the purpose of battling him. He turned them against us. The king's expression grew bitter, angry, his hands clenched into tight fists. The champions lost their lives. Most residing in the castle and the city around it did as well. The appointed knight was gravely wounded in the defense of the princess. This triggered something inside of Link. More of a feeling than an actual memory. Fear, pain, desperation, anger. Resignation. He reached out a shaking hand, placing it against the jagged wall, and shook his head. No. And thus the kingdom of Hyrule was destroyed. Devastated absolutely by the Calamity Ganon, the king said, and then paused. He looked back at Link, and seemed to silently acknowledge what he was feeling. However, he said, the princess survived. Relief. Incredible relief. It was like a sudden weight lifted off of Link's chest. He didn't know why, but it was imperative to him to know that this princess had survived. And she faced Ganon alone. Silence fell between them for a long time. Link didn't know what to say, what to ask. Deep down, he felt as though he knew this. Yet he had nothing. No memories, no knowledge, nothing beyond a rush of emotions that had faded as quickly as they had risen up in him. The king turned fully back around to face Link, and for a moment, Link thought he had heard the faint sound of a bell tinkling as he did so. That princess was my daughter, my Zelda, he said, and the courageous knight who protected her right up until the very end. Well, I am sure that you have already determined the truth. That knight was you, Link. Link exhaled slowly, deliberately, and tried to consider how he felt about receiving this news. If true, then it would explain his skills and abilities. That was comforting, in a way, to know that there was an explanation, and that it wasn't one that involved him just being a killer, 
He'd been a protector, too. A knight. But he'd also been something more than that, and that gave him pause. He'd not just been a knight, but he'd been a being of legend. Chosen and tasked with defeating the creature that currently inhabited the castle in the far distance. How did one respond to that burden? How did one carry it? You fought valiantly, but your fate took an unfortunate turn, the king continued, uninhibited by Link's thoughts. You were taken to the Shrine of Resurrection deep in the bedrock of the Great Plateau. And here you now stand revitalized, one hundred years later. The woman you spoke of, the words of guidance you have been hearing since you woke, are from Princess Zelda herself. Even now she works to restrain Ganon from within Hyrule Castle. She seeks to speak with you, to call for your help. However, I fear that my daughter's power will soon be exhausted. The king's expression was grave, and Link felt the sense of dread in the pit of his stomach growing. The beast, Ganon, appears to press and fight her control more than ever now, and it has been many years since I last heard her voice. Once her power is gone, Ganon will freely regenerate himself, and I am certain that nothing will stop him from killing Zelda and consuming our land." The king fell silent for a time, bowing his head and closing his eyes. Link saw incredible pain in his expression. Ultimately, I was unable to save my own kingdom. In fact, my mistakes may have been contributed to its downfall. I have no right to ask you this. Not after all that you have sacrificed already. But I am powerless here. You must save her, Link. Save my daughter. And do whatever you must to annihilate Ganon. The world seemed to spin around Link. He couldn't breathe. He could barely think. He'd just woken up. He didn't know who he was, where he was, or how he'd gotten here. And now this, this task, this burden. Did the king know how absurd this sounded? Did he know how wrong this was? But no. He wasn't even sure the king was paying attention to him now. The spirit's eyes had grown distant, and his tone more commanding than before. He was no longer an old man or a pleading father. He was a king giving an order he expected to be followed. It felt familiar somehow. I know little of the state of the world beyond the borders of this plateau, beyond what my daughter spoke to me of in the past years. I know not whether Ganon still controls the guardians that surround the castle, or even if they still function. And I know as much about the divine beasts. But it would be foolish to think that you can attack and defeat Ganon in your current state. Apparitions must be made. He pointed out the broken window, and Link stepped up beside him in order to see what he pointed at. A pair of mountains, or perhaps a single mountain that had long since been broken in two halves, lay to the east where his finger indicated. To the east, there is a village in the wilderness. The northbound road beyond the dueling peaks will lead you to the Kakarika village. There you will find the elder, Impa, assuming she still lives. Like I, she was set to wait these last hundred years for your return, and I believe she will be able to tell you more of the path that lies before you. King Roam grew silent for a time before looking down at Link now, fixing him with a kindly stare. The royal tone faded, and he looked more like the old man sitting by the fire. I know that this is a great deal for you to take in, my boy, 
and there is little I can say or do to make it any less so. Link glanced up at the king, and then back out at Hyrule. At the green plains, the distant volcano, the broken mountain, and finally the castle. The beast seemed quelled for the moment, but he knew it could reappear soon. Would the next time it finally appeared be when it broke free? If the princess had kept it locked away all this time, surely she could hold out for a time longer, right? How much time was left? He felt like a drowning man with no land in sight. Every word the king had said was a wave crashing down on his head, threatening to push him beneath the black depths. But he knew that he wouldn't turn this old king or his daughter away. He knew, somehow, that he could never have turned away such a task, past or present. Perhaps it was because of duty, or because it was the right thing to do, or even because a hidden part of Link simply wanted to save the princess. In that moment, he did not know quite why he would accept it, but he would. How... how will I defeat Ganon? It was a foolish question. If the king had that answer, he would have already said so, perhaps even found another to enact the plan. Still, though, he had to ask. I do not know, King Rome said, smiling in that sad way he had before. But I am confident that Impa will have some thoughts on the matter. She was always among the craftiest of the Sheikah, and if Zelda has begun to speak to you, then perhaps she has also discovered a weakness in the Calamity Ganon. Then how do I get down from the plateau? Link said, his heart sinking further with the king's reply. Seemingly relieved, the king actually laughed and placed an ethereal hand on Link's shoulder. His touch seemed cold and not fully there. Had he felt like that when Link pulled him away from the bow goblins? My boy, now that is something I can assist you with. He turned and floated around Link, going to a small bundle in one corner of the steeple. I have gathered you some supplies for your journey, he said as he took up position by the bundle of cloth. Link stepped over to the bundle and knelt, reaching out and pulling the first article off of it. It was a thick wool cloak, the same one it seemed that the king had been wearing earlier. Link did not understand how a spirit such as King Rome could have held a physical object such as this, but that was hardly the strangest thing he had countered since waking. In addition to the cloak, he found a pair of gloves, a length of rope, and a pouch containing several multicolored gems cut into hexagonal shapes. Most of the gems were blue or green, but he saw a few red gems, as well as one purple one. He looked up at the old man questioningly. Rupees? Still the accepted form of currency in Hyrule, I believe, unless things have changed so dramatically in the last 100 years. The old man said, smiling. It is not a lot, but it is all I have been able to find on the plateau. I am sure the Bokoblins did their fair share of looting when they took up residence. However, it should be enough to buy you some basic supplies off of merchants, or some of the inns that exist along the roads. Link nodded, and then looked at the final item, which had been at the bottom of the bundle. At first it appears to just be a brown cloth, but further inspection revealed a wooden frame around the cloth. The frame had been folded, thanks to a few simple metal joints along the wood. He unfolded the frame, locking the joints, and was surprised to find that it was larger than he initially thought. 
With the frame unfolded, the brown cloth stretched out to reveal a simple but stylized image of a bird woven into the fabric. On its underside, a pair of curved wooden poles formed what appeared to be handles. That, the king said, sounding proud, is my paraglider. It is a special piece of equipment, one that has served me for many years. It is no longer of any use to me in my current state, but I believe that you may benefit greatly from it, especially considering the recent resurgence of towers throughout the land. Link frowned at the paraglider, turning it over in his hands, trying to get an understanding of what exactly it was or how it would be useful. That glider has a special quality to it, made with special Rito fabric that is extremely lightweight and particularly adept at catching even the slightest breeze. It will allow its user to glide off of any height, not to mention slow any far. I will admit, it can be terrifying at first, but once you grow accustomed to it, the air will open to you. Just ensure you have a good grip before leaping. Link looked up at the old king dubiously, who smiled knowingly. I am afraid, King Rome said, that this will be quite necessary for you to get off of the Great Plateau. When you were placed in the Shrine of Resurrection, the only path up onto the Plateau was collapsed and has since flooded. I am still not sure how the Bokoblins got up here. They likely found a way to climb up, or perhaps they were always here, but only recently emboldened by the lack of other inhabitants. Link looked down at the paraglider with uncertainty, then back up at the old king. King Rome had begun to change. It had been nearly imperceptible at first. The ethereal glow had seemed stronger, but that had been all. But now, Link found that the king had grown translucent. Rome smiled sadly and reached out, placing a hand on Link's shoulder. It was feather light and cold. It appears that my time has finally come, he said as he grew less substantial. Link's eyes widened. No! He stood quickly, and was shocked when the king's hand did not stay on his shoulder, but instead remained in the same place it had been before. As such, it ended up somewhere in Link's gut. It was terribly uncomfortable and cold, and the king removed it quickly. I... I still have no memories. You've barely told me anything. Can't you stay? He hated the pleading tone in his voice. If he was to be this hero that the king spoke of, he would have to be stronger than this, wouldn't he? My purpose was to guide you on to the path, Link, Rome said. His feet and hands faded completely from existence, and his legs were beginning to do so as well. But I trust you will have the strength to go on. Seek out Impa, as I said, or whoever she entrusted with her knowledge, if she has passed on. That is where you will find the information you seek. The king looked down at himself, and seemed at a loss for words. Finally, he looked up at Link, the skin at his eyes crinkling with a smile. And please, take care of my daughter. She has waited long for you. Farewell. Link watched as the king's ethereal glow faded, along with his body. Soon, he was left alone in the Temple of Time steeple gazing mutely at the place where the last king of Hyrule had only been moments before. He took a step towards the hole in the wall and looked out towards Hyrule Castle. In the distance, the beast had risen again. He watched as it writhed and twisted before being pulled back down towards the castle.
He watched and felt no courage. <laughs>